with that snap, I was hoping to grab at least half of your attention this morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. And once again, it's a privilege for me to be up here uh, to speak to you guys from the Word of God once again. Uh, as you have heard, today's passage comes from Acts 12, verses 1 to 25. So if you haven't yet opened your Bibles to uh, that passage, please do so now. Acts 12, 1 to 25. So James is killed. Peter is miraculously healed from prison. Herod is struck down by God and eaten by worms and the gospel prevails. And here we are entering into Acts 12. But just to help you guys get up to speed with where we are in studying Acts, uh, since the past two weeks we went into John for Easter, Acts 12 serves as a pivotal point where the gospel breaks through from Jerusalem to the rest of the world, into Syria, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. In Acts 1 to 7, we see that despite increasing opposition, Jesus grew his church in Jerusalem. In Acts 11 to 8, there's a season of peace as we witness the miraculous conversion of Saul, the persecutor of the church. And now, here we are in Acts 12. Um, so, Acts 12 nicely divides into three different sections, which I will use as the backbone of today's message. Verses 1 to 5, the opposition against the gospel is heavy. Verses 6 to 19, the Lord is powerful to overcome this opposition. In verses 20 to 25, the word of the Lord will prevail. So even though the opposition was great, the Lord was powerful to overcome it, and his word will prevail. So on to our first point. The opposition is heavy. Last Easter, on Sunday, three Christian churches were bombed where at least 359 were killed and 500 were injured. In Uganda, a 28-year-old named Hassan converted to Christianity and was seen entering a church building on March 16th. He was interrogated by his family, surrounded by his family with sticks, and before he could finish answering their questions, he was beaten. His family shouted at him. They beat him, calling him infidel and an enemy to Islam. In China, in the year 2008, about 100,000 Christians were estimated to be arrested compared to 3,700 in 2017, according to China aid. China has also offered to pay their citizens $1,500 to be mini-Judases 
turning in other Christians anonymously. Would we be able to stand against such temptation when one day we ourselves become strapped for cash? Now, opposition doesn't necessarily mean persecution. Opposition is anything that goes against the will of our Lord, whether we're thinking about it or not. Policies such as physician-assisted suicide, abortions, anything that's against life, anything that delivers death, even non-binary views of gender are considered opposition to the will of God since God created man, male and female. As for ourselves, think about the things that we personally endorse, what type of video games we play, why we play them, um, why are games that involve fighting, killing, demons, and monsters so fascinating to us? Is it because these games allow us to be our true selves in a way that we can't express in our everyday lives? Again, opposition is anything that opposes the will of God. Now, why do I mention all of this? You're probably thinking, just stick to the text, Vince. I mention this to show you guys that opposition to Christianity, opposition to the gospel, and ultimately opposition to God is just as real today as it was back in Acts 12. So during this time, starting in verse 1, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now this is not Herod the Great who beheaded John the Baptist. This is Herod Agrippa I. Herod the Great was his great-grandfather. He laid violent hands, meaning he was arresting those who belonged to the church with the intention of persecuting them. Now, James was one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church, just as Pastor Sonny or Pastor Dominic is one of the leaders in our own church. And historically, the way to destroy the church, the way to attack the church, was to remove its leaders. That's why in the church over in China, the officials are seeking to arrest church leaders first. Because once you cut off the head, soon the rest of the body will be dysfunctional. We will scramble. And so the killing of James makes a statement in the church. It's equivalent to killing one of the leaders or someone who is influential in our church or in our Christian circles. It is as if John MacArthur had his head chopped off. It makes a statement to the Christian church. So persecution was intense and it was heavy. In verse 3, and when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now, Herod was a people pleaser. He saw that the executing of James, one of the church leaders, pleased the Jews. So he planned to do the same with Peter. 
he would take this opportunity to arrest Peter to secure his own popularity amongst the Jews. Herod was an opportunist. And many of us can actually relate to Herod. How many of us try to gain the favor of those who are around us? How many of us seek the approval of our superiors in our workplace or whatever area of life that we are in? Verse 4, Peter was put into prison, being delivered over to four squads of soldiers. So this was four groups of four soldiers, likely keeping watch throughout the night over a former fisherman. He was seen as a high-profile criminal. Verse 5, as Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him. Sorry, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so the church was praying for him. And do you guys notice the significance of this? A practice that often seems lost in our church culture. Not just our culture, but church in general. Peter, who was a significant figure in the early church, was imprisoned. And the church prayed. No, they didn't form a committee to figure out what was the best course of action. They weren't thinking up all sorts of crazy ideas to get Peter out of prison. And please understand me, I'm not saying that they're not thinking, but they prayed. It was, they congregated together and prayed together as the church. And this is what the scripture in this passage chooses to emphasize. And it's no wonder that prayer and intercession is closely linked to the progress of the gospel and the protection of gospel messengers. They prayed because the Lord was powerful to overcome. And this leads us to our second point. The Lord is powerful to overcome. So we enter into the next scene. Operation Rescue Peter. So now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, sorry, yes, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and soldiers before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter's on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Here we see the power of the Lord saving Peter and rescuing Peter from prison. The language here is strikingly similar to that of back in Exodus. The approximate time during those days were during the days of unleavened bread, which are the seven days of Passover. The, the command to get up quickly and escape was parallel to the escape of the Israelites from Egypt. And we see also that salvation is an initiative of God. And that obedience to get up and leave was only possible because the chains had fallen off. 
Verse 8, And the angel said to him, Dress yourselves and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So once again, we have the language of being quick. Peter was sleeping, and an angel, and an angel told him to get up quickly and follow him. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left. So Peter couldn't really believe what he was seeing. He was not all there in his person. He, pro he, pro he, thought, he, was he, was, he thought he was probably seeing a vision in his sleep. But the angel of the Lord led him out in such a manner. So do you understand what is happening here? While Peter was not fully conscious, the Lord rescued him out of prison. And chains had miraculously fallen off of his wrists. The high security that was supposed to be watching him had no idea what was going on, and the iron gate leading into the city just opened by itself. Peter's deliverance was God's sole initiative. Just as God was, just as God was the one who orchestrated the great exodus from Egypt, he is the same Lord who delivers Peter out of prison. And when Peter came back to himself, so when he was back in order, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So Peter came to realize it was the Lord who was working his salvation after everything that had happened, after he was delivered from the prison. And this is quite common for us as believers. Normally, we go along with the ride, and it usually isn't until later that we understand and we see that God is the one who is working salvation in our lives. He is the one who initiates, and he is the one who sees through our salvation. The mighty power of our Lord is at work even before we come to realize it. And so this takes the attention off of man, and it shifts the attention onto God, doesn't it? Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the gateway, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer Recognizing Peter's voice in her, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And so how did the people respond? They said to her, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying that it is his angel. So this word in the Greek doesn't necessarily mean angel, as you might think an angel would be. Uh, this word can simply mean a human messenger, uh, such that a person had come with a message from Peter. 
But verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed. So when they finally realized that it was Peter, what did Peter do? He described how the Lord had rescued him. He didn't just tell them the Lord saved me. He went in depth describing the how. Peter saw an opportunity to encourage his brothers and sisters to recognize the power of God in his deliverance and the type of deliverance that God does for his people. God is powerful to rescue. So one, th one, one key thing to note is that God is glorified when his people acknowledge God's working. And if you remember, it was an answer to the prayer in verse 5. Moreover, Peter tells, tells them to... Sorry, more, moreover, Peter tells James to... Sorry, Peter tells them to tell James what had happened. He wants James to know. So he's telling them to pass on the message of this great deliverance from prison. And now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what, Peter, what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the soldiers and ordered that they should be put to death. So problems in Herod's little group began to stir up. Herod was anxious, searching all over for Peter. And remember what Herod wanted to do. He wanted to remove Peter's influence and gain further popularity through Peter's execution. And so when Herod couldn't find him, he executed his own guards. This was the common practice that was done back in the day when guards lost their prisoner. So what is the message here? Is it that if we pray and if we trust in God, God will deliver his people from difficulty? Now this argument could be made if James's execution was omitted from the text, or even if we omit certain passages previously found in Acts. But the point is that, firstly, though there is great opposition, the Lord is powerful to overcome it. It is that we are to trust that Jesus is so powerful that he can fix all our problems. But no, the point is that Jesus is powerful to overcome opposition. And this doesn't necessarily mean he will fix all of our problems. So brothers and sisters, the same God that was powerful to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt is the same God that is powerful to work salvation on the cross. And it is the same God that worked throughout the early church and is the same God who is working in our here today and, as, and in us as individuals. That though in the fall, though through the disobedience of Adam, we were made powerless, powerless to do good, powerless to seek God and to love God, 
God in his power, God in his initiative, was working through redemptive history. Like Peter, we didn't have a clue what was going on, but God knew since the beginning of time. And when Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived, he went to the cross and took upon the full cup of God's wrath, every last drop of it. And he died the death that had your name on it. Innocent, pure, and holy Jesus was murdered for your sake and for mine. But as we celebrated last week on the third day, he was very powerful, even over death. And the king rose from the dead to give us life. So this leads us into our third and final point. The word of God will prevail. Our Lord will cause his word to prevail, and he is powerful to do it. So in verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, this is for an unspecified reason. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, so this was the king's trusted personal servant, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robe, took his seat upon the throne, a position of power and authority, and delivered an oration. He delivered a public address to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. So have you noticed something about Herod here? Luke framed in this chapter of Acts, Herod with power, authority, rule, and kingship. The people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. So when Herod put on his robe and sat on that throne, the people were amazed at the radiance of his robe when it was touched by the sun. And the people praised Herod, addressing him as a god, the voice of a god, not of a man. This was the climax of Herod's pursuit of his own glory. People saw him as god, and they were chanting continuously. His popularity was through the roof, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. And in verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Herod did not give glory to God. So do you remember the last time in Acts where the Lord struck down some, someone and it said that they breathed their last? If you go back to Acts chapter 5, this was Ananias and Sapphira. They did not seek to glorify God, but they seek to glorify themselves, didn't they? They lied about their offerings, saying that they sold their property and lied about keeping some back for themselves. And both husband and wife were in on it. And in doing so, they hoped to appear more spiritual than those who were around them. And honestly, they would have gotten away with it had God not struck them down. 
Herod was simply seeking to take the glory that was owed to God and to take it for himself. He wanted to be a God for himself. Well, we would never try to take the place of God, would we? We, we for sure know that glory is due God. But brothers and sisters, let's think carefully. What does it say about us when we emphasize all our other committee meetings? And yet, when it comes to prayer, our church as a congregation is silent. Now, brothers and sisters, please understand that I'm not hating on committee meetings, but please understand I'm also not saying that we do not pray as a church because I'm confident that we do pray. But I'm using strong language here. I'm using extremes to prove a point. I know that each and every one of us have certain obligations. We have work to tend to. We have studies. We have finances. We have our own families that we must take care of. But say, if we can make it to our prayer meetings, would we actually come out? Or are we just making excuses? We come to church every Sunday. We witness to those who are around us. We're on 10 different committees. We attend Fidelity regularly. We go to CNC. We go to our small groups. We're serving in the church and we're on worship. We are so busy. But I challenge you to Examine the state of your heart today. Through all our service, through all our church activities, is God receiving the glory in all your Christian work? Are we building a name for God or are we building a name for ourselves and a reputation for ourselves in the church? We live in a culture that screams, look at me, uh, or like me, as we click on our phones, that heart-shaped Instagram or uh, whatever else, thumbs up. You see, God is the final judge of our hearts, and I thank God that he is. I know I personally would make a terrible judge. Now let us contrast Herod with King Jesus. Herod was struck dead. He breathed his last and was eaten by worms. Yet God shows us that he is sovereign over those who scheme against him. God will judge those who oppose his, his will, either in this life or in the next. He is sovereign and he has supreme control over the advancement of his church. As we see in the first few verses, James was executed. Up to verse 19, Peter was miraculously delivered from prison, and King Herod was struck down. So we as a church, we as Christians, will see persecution. We have to expect it. But we will also see growth. In verse 24, but the word of God increased, and it multiplied. 
We see this theme throughout Acts. Acts 4, the church won't stop preaching. Acts 6 and 7, Stephen is preaching and he's ready to be stoned to death. Acts 8, Christians run and flee Jerusalem to, Ju to, Ju excuse me, to Judea and Samaria. Acts 9, Paul is on his way to kill Christians, and God saves him. And as the title of my message indicates, the gospel cannot be bound. So despite heavy opposition against the gospel, the word of, the, the word of God still increased and it multiplied. When James was executed, you can imagine what some might have thought. If Reverend Sonny or Reverend Dominic would be imprisoned for the very gospel that they preach, how would we ourselves react? Would we react in fear? Doubt? What would we do? But it says the word of God increased and it multiplied. It was Tertullian, an early church father, who said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, God is powerful to overcome all opposition. Herod is shown for the king that he is. But our true king, Jesus, is the one who triumphs in the end. The word of God continues today and will continue forward. It is King Jesus that holds all authority and all victory in his hands. That despite the opposition that the church faces, Jesus is powerful to overcome opposition. He's powerful to cause his word to increase and multiply. And this is the point of the message. This should bring us great assurance as Christians. Yesterday we had our leadership retreat. Uh, discussing mainly the state of our church and our future direction. Um, brothers and sisters, God is powerful to build our church. Despite our weaknesses, despite our sin, despite our selfishness, despite our pride, despite our lack of love for one another, God is in control. This is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And so to conclude, opposition against God and against the church is great, but our Lord is powerful to overcome it, and he will cause his word to increase and multiply for his own sake, for his glory. Part of Grudem's definition for holiness is that he's devoted to seeking his own honor. So, brothers and sisters, whose glory shall we live for? We all struggle in this. We're not too different from King Herod, are we? We seek to gain the approval of others uh, through likes and social media. We seek to have glory for ourselves. But brothers and sisters, we have a great high priest who came to die for our sins, to die for our pride, to die for our lack of humility, 
So how can we live for the glory of God? Uh, there's, just, there's, a, there's a whole number of ways. It's not just through prayer as I stressed so heavily early on. Um, but I will stress it again. We must remember that the source of the church's power is in God through our prayers. And it is through the word of God as the word of God is power unto salvation. Here in this passage, in the very context of Acts 12 itself, number one, when Peter was arrested, we see that the church prayed. We are to pray that God would move in a powerful and mighty way in his church. And we are to pray for the witness of the church to the rest of the world. Secondly, when Peter understood God's deliverance, he described how God rescued him. And he told it to others. Excuse me. And he told it to others, and he told others to tell other people of God's great work. So, when do we ourselves talk about Jesus? In our circles, is his name, are our thoughts about him like honey on our lips? Is there a sweetness that comes with talking about the gospel, about the work of salvation in our lives, and what, the, what, the, what God has done for us on the cross. Brothers, I, brothers and sisters, I urge you to be encouraged. There is one powerful to strengthen us in all times and is faithful to do the work that he has set out to do. Turn to him for power to be strengthened, to be wise, to be loving, to be gentle, and to be a good witness to those around us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the one who is in control and not us. Lord, it is such a great privilege that you choose to work through silly, stubborn, ignorant, prideful people such as us. Lord, you remind us through your kindness that we need you. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to stand in confidence, knowing that though we may face persecution, Though we may be attacked through different angles in life, that you are faithful to advance your church, to grow us as Christians. You are faithful to carry your work through. To know that your word will prevail. Lord, we thank you for the solid foundation that we have. We thank you for the community that you've saved us into. Lord, help us to continue to march on. We pray this in Jesus' name.